Welcome to the Bible Q&A Podcast, the show that answers your questions about the Bible, Christian theology, and church history. This podcast is brought to you by Risen Ministries and Creation Today. Now here are your hosts, Tim Chafee and Eric Hoven. Hey guys, only two more episodes until the big Christmas celebration. Uh, if you are anti-Christmas, and if you want to stay that way, I don't recommend you listening to this podcast we're actually about to present, okay? Because we're going to be answering a lot of different questions about Christmas and Christianity, should it be celebrated, things like that. We want to spend these next two episodes discussing really some of the misconceptions that people have about the biblical passages uh, concerning Christ's birth and about the holiday known as Christmas. Yeah, that's right. In this first episode, uh, which happens to be episode number 11, we're going to be looking at some of the more recent claims that uh, a lot of people have been making, claiming that um, that Christmas is a pagan holiday, that Christians shouldn't have anything to do with it. So we're going to look at some of the arguments that they use. And then in next week's episode, uh, we're going to be looking at some of the misconceptions that people have about the biblical passages, the narratives in Matthew and Luke. Um, some of the skeptical claims about, oh, there's contradictions in those accounts, you can't trust them, or, you know, just some of the different things that they'll claim that they're not historically accurate, and we're going to deal with those in the next episode. So a couple of shows about Christmas, and then we have something special lined up for the the last podcast of the year. I I am excited about this, really am. I want to jump right in with the first question, because uh, I know we're going to talk about these misconceptions people have about Jesus and things like that. Let's just jump right in here. Does the Bible, Tim, command Christians to celebrate Christmas? Is that a command in the Bible? No, it is not. <laughs> now, what's what's interesting is there are uh, people who are opposed to Christmas who say you should not be celebrating. It's a pagan holiday, and they'll use this one argument and say, see, case closed. You can't celebrate Christmas. But that doesn't, uh, the, the Bible is not exhaustive. It doesn't cover everything that you can or cannot do. And it gives us freedom in certain areas. Uh, But here's the thing on this one. Eric, did the shepherds who were in their field uh, outside of Bethlehem, did they uh, celebrate the birth of Christ? Absolutely. I mean, this was like a joyous occasion. They were looking forward to the day that this was going to happen. They had read about this in scripture and to think that this happened in their lifetime. I mean, wow, what what an event. In their lifetime and in their town. I mean, they got to see it. And how about Joseph and Mary? Do you think they celebrated? Oh my goodness! Absolutely, absolutely. Do you think the Do you think the angels celebrated? Uh, in heaven, no doubt about it. I mean, I just saw the Christmas, uh, you know, pageant uh, that our church did, and the angels were celebrating. <laughs> well, there's the authority right That's there, it, right? right there. <laughs> uh, but what about Anna and Simeon when they saw baby Jesus when he was brought to the temple? Uh, do you think they celebrated? Man, I mean, once again, here you have something that was so looked forward to. And now when it's finally being fulfilled, it's like one of those things, especially for them. I mean, you got decades and decades of looking forward to this, this day that this would happen. And now here it is. It happened. I have no doubt that right. it's rejoicing. Yeah. So you got multiple examples of people and also the angelic beings who rejoiced, who celebrated that the Messiah had come. Um, if they can celebrate the fact that he was born, or, you know, why would it be wrong for Christians who believe that Jesus was uh, sent, to, that he came to earth, that he was born of a virgin. Why can we not celebrate the fact that he took on human flesh? He became one of us so that he could die for us. 
and uh, then he ultimately would be raised from the dead. Of course, we can celebrate that if we want to. In fact, we can celebrate that every day of the year if we'd like. But and, we yes. don't have I'm to so either. Yeah, we're not commanded to. Therefore, nobody should be forced against their conscience to celebrate Christmas. And that's not what we're here to do today. We're not saying, you people who don't believe we should celebrate Christmas, how dare you? You need to be celebrate. No, you don't have to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> so, um, but if Christians want to do it, by all means, there's there's strong uh, basis for that. And ultimately, what you just said though was so so critical. We should be celebrating the fact that that God became a man every day of our lives. I mean, that is what led to the opportunity for us to have salvation itself, and uh, all part of His plan, of course. But man, that's something that we should be thankful for. Matter of fact, typically when we pray in our house. We thank God for coming and, and becoming a, as a man. And this is a time that, that we end up taking it and celebrating it in our household. Yeah, that's great. All right, hey, Tim, I, gotta, uh, I, I don't know what to think about this. I don't even know how you're going to think about how I phrase this one, but I saw something while my mom was setting up for Christmas uh, in, uh, in, in her house. And I, I was like, okay, should this be disturbing to me or not? I'm going to show it to so, you. So, yeah, so what, you're, you're, what you're saying is that your mom celebrates Christmas, and well, it's a good thing it's okay to do that. Yeah, we well, <laughs> okay, so she does put up a lot. There's like lots of, you know, decorations around, and there's wreaths, and there's all kinds of stuff. And uh, the, the here's, though, I'm going to hold something up for our, our video audience. If you're, if you're not watching this on, on YouTube, you'll miss this. But I'm holding right here, you're not going to believe this, this is the lid so one of, I'm holding right now the lid to one of the boxes that she stores all her Christmas things in for, for the year. And it says, berries for Xmas tree. So she puts these little uh -oh. red berries. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> she said Xmas. She didn't say Christmas. So uh, I guess, first of all, why do some people use X instead of, you know, saying Christmas? Are they trying to get Christ's name out? And second, is my mom going to hell for this? <laughs> I mean, well, let's that... deal with the let's deal with the second question first. The okay. answer to that is no. Oh, she's sure. not. Wow, mom, you're okay. All right, good. She listens right. to this show, by the way, too. So, all right. I think she's uh, one of our three you... listeners out there. It's great. <laughs> I think we're up to five. Five, nice. <laughs> I paid a couple more people to listen. <laughs> um, so the the reason this this got started the the whole Xmas actually the the earliest we can trace it is back to the 16th century. And that is, it, it was actually, that's around the time the printing press was getting started, or, or that had started a little bit earlier. But, you know, it's, it was a lot easier for people to use an abbreviation. And at that time, the reason X was chosen is not because of algebra, where it could stand for anything. It was, it was <laughs> because the Greek uh, spelling of, of Christ is Christos. And so it starts with a, it starts with, uh, in when we write it out, it's like C-H, but in their language, in Greek, it looks like an X. And so the there's a, a famous or popular uh, logo that you'll see. Sometimes people have it as a tattoo. Sometimes uh, you'll see it. Um, a lot of times the Roman Catholics will use it. It's called the key row, and it's the first two letters of his name. It looks like an X, and it kind of looks like a P in there. Um, I guess for the, for people who are watching on video, I just did that backwards, but, <laughs> it, <laughs> but it's a, um, that's called the key and the row. It's, um, the first two letters in Greek of Christ, of the title Christ. And so what some people have done is taken that, 
have taken Christmas and abbreviated it as Xmas. Now, are there people today who are using it just to remove the name of Christ, the title of Christ? I'm I'm sure that's a motivation for a lot of the people doing it, uh, especially the stores that do that, uh, retail stores. I think there are quite a few people who are all too happy to remove the title Christ from any mention in the public square. And so, yeah, I think that there's a, a, a secular reason why some people do it, but it, that's not why it started, and therefore it's not automatically wrong for a Christian to do that. So really, when they use the X, that is a representation, like literally, that is a symbol for Christ. I mean, they may think that they're trying to X out Christ, but really all they're doing is <laughs> speaking of X, which is the symbol for Christ. That's uh, how ironic. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, it's a little ironic, but in, in a sense, they're not really using a symbol because a lot of people today don't recognize that as a symbol. So, you know, when for the average person, they see Xmas and I mean, look, most people in our culture know it's called Christmas and they, they have an idea that it, it has to do with Jesus. But, um, but when they see Xmas, I, I, I think a lot of people don't even think about it. There are some people who use it to remove Christ from Christmas, so they don't have to say Merry Christmas. They don't have to, you know, they don't want to be reminded about Christ. There's a lot of people that way. And we see how Christ is being removed from all sorts of places in our culture. So that's just another way to do it. But um, again, it, it's not... That is, it's not that simple. It's not just secularists trying to remove Christ from Christmas, even though that may be a large part of it in our day. Well, I'm taking the irony all the way to the bank, Tim. I think it's ironic right. that they use X, which is an abbreviation for Christ. So I'm well, going all the way some, with it. That's fine. We're going to see some more irony in a little while. On okay. One of the questions that we got coming up. It's, it's highly ironic. <laughs> all right. Here's, here's the next question for you, Tim. Uh, the scriptures, you know, they don't, they don't tell us to celebrate. Is it okay for Christians to celebrate holidays that are not mentioned in Scripture? I mean, we got a lot of people today, and I know you've written on this, that are saying, hey, we need to celebrate all of the Old Testament things. The, the Bible never does say, hey, celebrate these particular holidays. Are holidays that are not set forth in Scripture, are those okay to celebrate? Christians have the freedom to celebrate a any day that they want, and uh, that's going to sound heretical to some people who have bought into this idea that that Christians can only celebrate the Levitical feasts, those things that are found in Leviticus. Uh, I think it's chapter 23. There's about six different feasts, the Passover and the Un Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Trumpets and, uh, you know, the Feast of, of Booths or, or Tabernacles. And so they go through and say, these are the ones that God commanded. These are his feasts for his people. And these are the only ones that you can do. Um, but you have to look at that passage and, and, and its context, but even the, the beginning of the chapter, it's, those are feasts that were given to the nation of Israel under the Mosaic law, the law that God gave to Moses. And the New Testament, in, in the New Testament, we see that there is now a new covenant. And Paul specifically tells us in Galatians, you are not under the law. Christians are not under the Old Testament Mosaic law. Now that's a that one statement right there would be multiple episodes to flesh out. Yeah, there's but, that, that, that could be a, a debate could rage on about that, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. But but you can't get past that wording. And, and he says it very clearly. But there's also the statements in Romans 14 I, where Paul talks about how... I'm literally one turned there right now in my Bible. Uh, oh, then go ahead and read it, uh, verse 5. Yeah, verse 5. Because I, I was wondering about this as it relates to ideas like this. Uh, 
one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, the context of that is almost certainly talking about the Sabbath day. That's that there are I some assume, people who, yeah. yeah, most that um, most scholars would say that's about the Sabbath. Now, the people who say that we're not allowed to celebrate. Um, that we only that we can only celebrate the Old Testament feasts. A lot of times they'll look at that and say, "No, this is talking about fasting. That you can fast on whichever day you choose, but you got to keep the Sabbath." And they'll say the the word Sabbath doesn't even appear in Romans, so it's not even about that. Well, guess what other word doesn't appear in Romans? Fasting. <laughs> <laughs> but this is consistent with what Paul teaches in Colossians, where he says, "Don't let anybody judge you regarding uh, food or drink or new moons or Sabbaths." That we're not under that law anymore, and so. What he's saying is, look, you can esteem one day as holy. You can you can have this as a holiday, or you you know whether you want to keep the Sabbath or not. That fine if you want to do it and do it under the Lord. If you don't want to, if you're not convicted on that, then don't. But whatever you're doing, serve the Lord. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to: is whether you choose to celebrate Christmas, do it and do it under the Lord. If you choose not to, then don't. And but use your time to serve the Lord. You know, Tim. I got to tell you here, this is something that I struggled with, the very idea of should we celebrate Christmas. And my wife will tell you, there were there was a, a two-year period where I'm sitting here going, okay, I really, really want to know the truth about this because I had watched a lot of videos on YouTube about why Christ, uh, Christmas is really a pagan holiday and really you're, you know, you're, you're worshiping Satan pretty much. If you're going to put up a Christmas tree or if you're going to do any kind of decorations, if you do any and form. And Santa, if you spell Santa differently, it even spells Satan, it's right? It's got the same letters in it, Tim. I mean, how convinced <laughs> do you have to be here, Okay. So it's got all this, and but it really was a struggle for me. And and when it was a struggle, I backed off. I went, I can't, I can't celebrate in good conscience. Now, you know, I, I find myself going, I can, hearing some of these things and learning some of these things and really seeing through some of the arguments for what they really are, made me go, you know what? I do have the real freedom to celebrate. Now, if you're not there, if you're listening or you're watching and you're not there, I totally understand. Romans 14 does make it clear, be fully convinced in your own mind. Make sure that you have this understanding for yourself, not just right. Don't do it because, yeah, don't do it because other people are pressuring you to do it. If you don't feel like you should, then then don't. But um, also don't pressure them because they right. do. Exactly. Um, the, something else, though, I mean, is it okay to, the question itself was, is it okay for Christians to celebrate holidays that aren't set forth in scripture? Well, we better hope so because Jesus apparently did. Uh, the but before we get to that, the the Jews set up a, a celebration at the end of the book of Esther. That one's called Purim, uh, or Purim is how a lot of Americans would say it, and that's in Acts nine twenty eight or Acts. I'm sorry, Esther nine twenty eight, where you know the Jews wanted to celebrate the fact that they were were spared from you know the Haman, decree that yeah, that Haman yeah. yeah all those kind of things, and they were they were spared from that. And so they celebrated this this holiday that they still celebrate today uh, called Purim. Uh, but here's the other one, Hanukkah, which I, did it just end? Yeah. Today? Okay. Yeah, I think it just ended the day that we're, we're recording this. Um, and last year I got to be in Israel for the for Hanukkah for six days, the first six days of it. That was pretty awesome to be there. Um, but that one is talked about in John 10, 22. And guess who happens to be in Jerusalem at that time. Jesus. I'm going with Jesus. It's, yep. <laughs> all right. So John 10, 22 talks about how it was the feast of dedication and it was winter. Well, what's the feast of dedication? It's Hanukkah. 
It's the festival of lights. And this is also where Jesus said that I am the light mm. of the world. So okay, he's he said, using... What celebrating is me. You are celebrating oh, yeah. me. He's, he's using what's around them, you know, the celebration of lights, and he's saying, I'm the true light. Yeah. And he's, he's never, he never condemns them for celebrating Hanukkah. He never says this holiday that you guys have set up. How dare you? You gotta follow the ones in Leviticus. No, it's it's not at all like that. We have the freedom to celebrate uh, certain times, certain days, and in, in years, and we can, you know, those things are helpful. They're they they can be good reminders for us of what God has done. And if we keep the right emphasis, then there's no problem. If we lose sight of the the proper reason, and we're just doing it just to do it, well, then it's empty and had no meaning. Hey, I got another question. And again, all these do kind of tie together. Uh, we celebrate Christmas on December 25th here in the United States. The Bible very clearly indicates that I, I believe Je Jesus was more likely born in the fall, which would be sometime around late September. Why would we celebrate December 25th if Jesus was really born based on the descriptions that we can get from Scripture? sometime in like a late September time frame. Yeah, well, the arguments that he was born in late September or maybe early October are really overblown. And they're they're grabbing certain little details and pushing them beyond what we can know. And there's a couple different places where this comes from. Um, there's a newer movement that is called Astral Prophecy. Um, and Eric, we didn't talk about this one before, but there's a guy uh, named Michael Heiser. He's a, he's a very brilliant scholar with uh, Old Testament, uh, ancient Near Eastern languages, um, the the Divine Council, which you and I have talked about. Uh, so he's, he's very learned, and he's, he's written a lot of things I appreciate. He's got a, he's got a popular podcast, um, and there are quite a few things that he says that I appreciate, but he also pushes this idea called astral prophecy. He looks at uh, Revelation chapter 12, uh, where it talks about the the woman being in labor and giving birth to the child, and then the dragon went after the child. And he says all of this happened in the past. He thinks it's all a prophecy about um, about Christ's first coming, whereas most Christians would look at, look at that and say, actually, much of that prophecy has to do with the future. But what he's doing, it talks about a woman who's clothed with the sun, and he looks at the constellations and says, this is Virgo the Virgin. And at the at the time where the, the sun would have been in, you know, where she's clothed with it, where so it's like in her midsection. And then she, he's looking at the constellation saying, this is a sign that when this happened, that's when the Messiah was born. So he must've been born. I think the date he picks is September 11th and it's uh, is it 3 BC or two, I think it's 3 BC, maybe 2 BC. And so he pushes for that saying it based on what we know astral astronomically not astrologically yeah. <laughs> astronomically um but he's he's really reading a lot into that passage and uh what he, maybe he isn't aware of is uh, danny faulkner who's an astronomer that works at answers in genesis he has um a really good critique of this in his book called the creative cosmos uh there, there are several assumptions that heiser's making that just don't work um the uh, yeah there's just there are a lot of problems with it um and besides the fact, Herod the Great probably was already dead. So that doesn't work either. Well, this is, uh, it's interesting because, I mean, I have heard some of this stuff and, and, you know, it sounds incredibly convincing to actually look at turning back the clock, seeing where the constellations were, seeing what the sun was doing. And you see all this and you go, that kind of makes But that, that's sense. the problem is when you turn back the clock, Virgo the Virgin really would hardly be visible. 
at that time. Uh, oh, from where they were located. Yeah, from where they were. Uh, uh, that's one of the things that, that Danny Faulkner explains. And that's just one of the many problems with this. So it's really a stretch to to go with this view, even though it seems uh, it seems pretty compelling and convincing when you first hear about it. But I, I don't think that he's treating Revelation 12 very well either when you look at the, the rest of the context of that passage. But um, that would get us into a, a, a lot of other discussions. The other place where this comes from is from the group that says that um, you know, you can only celebrate the feasts that are in Scripture, and that one of those feasts is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Right. You know, the, the Feast of Booths. And in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, well, that's from the same word that's from tabernacle. So he tabernacled among us. So he must have been born at the Feast of Tabernacles. That is not what John is saying. Oh. Okay, just just because you can make a connection between two words, one in the old and one in the new, and there's that doesn't equate the two things, and that's what people do. So they they look at some of the other festivals and they say, well, crucifixion occurred at or right near the Passover, and the resurrection occurred at first fruits. So that means that all of the major events in Christ's ministry and even his second coming and they'll even put the rapture in there that must be at the feast of trumpets and and they'll say all of these have to occur on major holidays well tabernacles must have been the one and that's an uh, that's celebrated in the fall uh, late september and uh, or th sometimes in october and it's nothing in the bible says that all of these events in christ's life and ministry have to occur on a holiday that nowhere stated in the bible now the passover one yes we know that happened then. And the first fruits, yes, we know that the resurrection happened then. But that's only because of the timing with the Passover and when he was going to rise. But nothing in Scripture says the rest of these things are going to be fulfilled to correspond to those feasts. That is something that people are adding to Scripture. And it, the Bible doesn't say, now, maybe it'll work out that way, but it doesn't mm. mean that. But here's, remember I mentioned earlier there's going to be a lot of irony? Yeah, yeah. If Jesus happened to be born in late September... Yeah. Which is what they're arguing. Then that would mean that the word became flesh nine months earlier, which would put you where, Eric, on the calendar? <laughs> oh, smokes. That's like end of December. End of December. Kind of like December 25th, wasn't it? Okay. So, hang, okay. So hang on. Do you put, now I'm going, do you, okay. So do you put validity to this? Is this like, ah? No, I don't. I don't think there's a good argument for the late September date, anyway. Um, not, not, I'm not arguing. Not, yeah. Oh, so for being born, I know you're, you're sitting here saying you're just saying it's ironic that he would have actually become flesh nine months before, nine months earlier, which, which is around right December twenty fifth, sometime. Right. That's where I think it's highly ironic that because the word funny. became flesh nine months earlier, not when he was born, but when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. So, if, so in other words, you're saying if you. If if you believe that that it's late September and you're pro life and you understand you know then therefore December twenty fifth should be no big deal, <laughs> right? Well, and now there's other arguments that they use for it as well, and we're going to look through a, a lot of these. Uh, one of them they'll look at Zacharias, John the Baptist's father. Yep, and they'll say that he was of the order of Abijah, which the Bible tells us that, which was eighth in the rotation of priests to serve. So what they had is they had twenty four different groupings of priests who would serve for roughly two weeks at a time. And that would take you through most of the year. 
And so you'd have, uh, you know, a group of priests serving first for two weeks and then another group for about two weeks, another group for about two weeks. Abijah is the eighth one. So basically he's coming up, the, what, the 15th and 16th weeks of the year, roughly. And based on when the Jewish calendar was and everything, they'll say, see, this falls. What they'll, they'll do is they'll look at, this is when Zechariah was told the message by the angel. He completed the service. He goes home. His wife, Elizabeth, gets pregnant. And then when she's six months pregnant, that's when Mary is um, is spoken to by the angel and told that she's going to conceive. And so nine months out from there, now we're back in late September again. It's not December 25th. And uh, so it, it's a pretty complex argument, but there are so many assumptions being thrown into that. First of all, we don't know if John the Baptist, or John the Baptist, John the Baptist's uh, mother, we don't know if Zacharias's wife, uh, Elizabeth, conceived as soon as he got home. Okay, it could have been, it could have been some time after that. We don't know if Mary um, carried Jesus to full term, you know, like, did she go exactly, you know, roughly nine months or a little bit longer than that? Um, there, there are a lot of different assumptions that are, are built into that just to come up with a date. But um, the, Here's the other biggest thing. We don't know when the order of Abijah served at all. Mm. Because the order of Abijah, that was when it was eighth. That's back in David's time, a thousand years earlier. But the temple was destroyed for several years, for about 70 years until it was rebuilt uh, after the Babylonian captivity. So there were no priests going at that time and serving in the temple. There was a time during, which is why Hanukkah is celebrated in the one 70s and one late one or early 160s, I guess you would say, uh, BC. So like 169, 168, where the temple was out of commission again because of what uh, Antiochus Epiphanes had done. And that's when the Maccabean revolt occurred. And that's what Hanukkah celebrated, that rededication of that temple uh, at that time. But after the exile, Abijah doesn't even appear on one of the lists in the Bible. And then the order of Abijah appears as the 11th, the 12th, and the 17th in the other list. Mm. So which one was it during the time of Christ? Yeah, you got Was it the 8th, the 11th, 12th, or 17th? No, you have to assume it's the 8th. You have to assume it's the one that works out the way you want it to. But there's five other things, one where it doesn't appear, and then three other places. So that's a, that's a huge leap in, you know, there's a whole lot of speculation going on there to try to make that one work. Um, the other one, another thing that argument that's used to argue against the December date is that um, th there's a problem with the shepherds, right, Eric? Yep. That they would never have been in their field in December. Yeah, it's too cold. What's the average temperature right. over there in Jerusalem in December? You were there. Yeah. Chilly. Well, when were you in? When were you in Israel? I was there in, in uh, June uh, of this. Oh, so that's a little bit different. You yeah. were there when it was warmer. <laughs> it felt great. We had a great time. <laughs> well, yes, I was there exactly a year ago. In fact, the day we're recording this was the day I arrived in Israel a year ago. And the average nighttime temperatures in and around Jerusalem and Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem by about six miles, is about 40 degrees. That's the average nighttime low. It's 42, 40 degrees. No, you're from Florida. This is not a fair question. Um, <laughs> 40 degrees is freezing cold. Just okay, so but you if know, you were to okay? ask me, somebody from Wisconsin, um, no, 40 degrees is kind of balmy, actually, in December. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's not too cold. And by the way, it could have been a little bit warmer during that time. I mean, we have days and nights where it's warmer than usual and somewhere it's colder than usual. 
And if it was warmer than usual, they could have brought the flocks out at night. Not a problem at all. In fact, last year when I was there, guess what I saw in the fields repeatedly? Sheep. Sheep in December. <laughs> That's actually pretty impressive. But I thought that they couldn't be. And, and you know what? Each daytime for us, it was actually a little bit warmer last year. It was Most days were about 65 to 70 for a high, except for when we went, when we went down to the Dead Sea. It was warmer there. You know, it's kind of yeah. a desert area. And Masada, it was about 75 to 80 there in December. And then um, at night, it got down to about 50 to 54, 55. So it wasn't... I mean, that's not too cold to, that's to just because of global warming okay it's better now than it was back then tim come on oh well there's another topic to get into it <laughs> but but you know what there's a another problem the bible tells us that sh that some shepherds kept their sheep out throughout the year uh how about jacob when he was working to um acquire rachel from um from laban and instead he got Leah for the first one. Then he has to work. Then he seven agreed to work years. seven more years to get Rachel. He, he gets to marry Rachel early, you know, at the beginning of that. But then he does work another seven years. And then he works six more years after that for the flocks. But here's what he says in Genesis 31, 38 through 40. And there's a really important wording in here. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young. And I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beast, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me, and in the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. What so, happened during the night? Apparently he was out there even when it's a little cold and he Even when the sleep. frost was there, which that means he's probably getting down to 32 degrees, at least on our, on the Fahrenheit right. uh, measurement. So zero degrees Celsius. And he was even a little bit further north and further inland. So he was in a climate that was probably a little bit colder than what um, Bethlehem was. And yet he was keeping the flocks by night. So why would we assume that that they couldn't do that. Really, this objection is like an Americanized objection. Somebody who either, or maybe in Europe, maybe somebody who lives north of uh, where where I'm at in Kentucky and thinks, <laughs> boy, that would be pretty cold to keep the flocks at night in December. Like, yeah, not where they are. Got it. But it sure would be in Wisconsin. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, any, <laughs> any time of year. Well, summertime is nice in Wisconsin, but other than that. That's true, yeah. Well, that's interesting. So I guess I've I've uh, straightens out some misconceptions I've had there on on the reality, the the, the truth, and and what is what has been exaggerated and what's been uh, yeah what's been fact. So, so ultimately, the, the Bible doesn't tell us the date of his birth, and I don't think that we can figure it out either to any degree of certainty. I, it could have been December twenty fifth. I got no problem with that. Uh, I don't think that it was. I mean, I got a one in three hundred sixty five chance um, of that one being right. But I don't think that we can pinpoint it to late September either. I, I it, And ultimately, it, it really doesn't matter to me. Mm. The fact is that he did come, and we have chosen a certain day to to celebrate that on, as uh, at least the majority of Christians choose to celebrate that on December 25th, and the majority of Christians in the West, I should say. And and that's fine. If, if somebody wanted to do it at late September, fine. If you want to do it every day of the year, fine, do it. Um, if you don't want to, and you again, that's fine too. Mm. Well, this does bring up obviously a question about the December twenty fifth date. 
Mm -hmm. uh, Tim, I hope you're aware, that was originally a pagan holiday. <laughs> so how can you believe that it is appropriate to celebrate the birth of Christ on that specific day? I mean, why didn't we pick another one since that one's already kind of set aside for right. a pagan holiday? Right. So was the was that date borrowed from the pagans? A lot of times you'll see different holidays that are that are allegedly the ones that were picked. So you've got Saturnalia is the ran from December seventeenth through December twenty third, and that was one uh, celebration that that the Romans had. And then uh, this holiday of the sun god, the unconquered sun, uh, Sol Invictus, was actually December twenty fifth. But that was not instituted until A.D. 274. And so you're saying since church... he was born before that, it's okay to steal that day from him? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> what I'm saying is that we have Christian writings from before 274 A.D. Uh, who said December 25th. Oh, really? So, so got... before those were ever declared, like, so really they, they're trying to steal it from us. Well, before Sol Invictus was officially proclaimed to be on December 25th, Hippolytus, a allegedly around 210 AD said that uh, Christ was born on December 25th. Now that one's disputed, but Julius Africanus in 221 AD, so 50 years, be 53 years before Aurelian, uh, the emperor declared December 25th to be Sol Invictus, 53 years earlier, Julius Africanus said Jesus was born on December 25th. Boom! Now, Next time somebody um, tells you that we stole that from a pagan holiday, 53 years earlier, you got the number. Well, but there's more to it than that. A lot of, there, there are a lot of people who celebrate a certain holiday right around that time uh, during the winter solstice, uh, which in our day falls on a really great day of the year, December 21st. It's one of the most important days of the year um, by far. It's the shortest day of the year, but it's also the birthday of one of the tallest people around. That would be me. <laughs> but um, so that's, uh, so yeah, if you want to send presents, go there ahead you go. and send you know them the to date. me on December 25th, 21st. Yeah. Um, but it first it doesn't matter <laughs> even if there was a pagan holiday on December 25th does it matter if Christians celebrate the son of god on December 25th if if we were not allowed to celebrate on that day because pagans had picked a holiday on that day couldn't pagans pick every day of the year actually i was kind of wondering suddenly about we, that yeah then suddenly we can't celebrate at all right so as soon as a uh, secular society names something, you know, to celebrate. Like for example, they got the whole. I think the uh, the LGBTQ. They've got like a whole month now. I think that they celebrate. Yeah, like month of June or something. So I think. I'm not allowed to celebrate my birthday or anything to do with God in the month of June because they've adopted that. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't quite jive. No, that's a, that's a problem. It's just, it's it's illogical, really. But um, there, yeah, it's. <laughs> It just doesn't, people go too far with this. And, and again, yeah, the pagans could pick any day that they want or every day of the year. And then suddenly we can't celebrate anything uh, to do with the Lord. Um, so December 25th is fine, even if it wasn't actually that day. Okay. Well, what about this solo evictus, the sun god? Why would you celebrate the worship of a sun god if you are going to choose to celebrate that day? Well, it'd be interesting to try to find a Christian who actually worships the sun god <laughs> on December 25th. No, Christians worship point. the son of God. <laughs> and I got into a debate one time with, with a guy who was arguing this way, and he was saying, you cannot celebrate 
Christmas on December 25th, I said, is it okay to worship God on December 25th? It's a pagan holiday. You can't do this on December 25th. I said, can I thank the Lord for sending his son? And can I do that on December 25th? And he kept arguing like, no, you can't do that because it's this pagan holiday. And I said, look, I'm asking very simply, can a Christian worship God on December 25th? And he goes, that's a trick question. <laughs> It's not a trick question. It, it's a very straightforward question. And what happens is people automatically assume because there's these different pagan traditions that might be associated with this day or this time period, that week around there, that suddenly any Christians who celebrate on December 25th must be doing all of those things too. And, it, and that's just silly. Nobody, I don't, I've never been to a church service on uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas where we worship the sun god we worship the son of god we worship the god who made the sun not the sun itself that's where never... the whole sun god came from they just accidentally <laughs> left out the word of and people got confused and <laughs> <sighs> but yeah that's that's where where people go with it and, and it really is just I, I know they're very sincere and they're they're very convicted on this but it's just the arguments are really really weak for it all right what about uh chris Mus Christ Mass, so it's it's all Catholicism. So if you are Protestant, you can't use the word Christmas or celebrate it. How about that argument? Well, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because the Catholics will get blamed for another what we were talking about just a little bit ago that the appropriating of pagan holidays. So when Rome, when not when Rome, when the when Christianity spread to a new area. And so let's say after the fall of the Roman Empire, so the 400s and 500s into the, you know, 800s, this whole, um, the beginning of the Dark Age and everything, but, and even on up to the present. So when Christianity moves into a new region, um, especially under Roman Catholicism, a lot of times what they would do is take one of the holidays of that culture and they would try to appropriate it. And say, no, no, instead of worshiping this, you need to worship God at this time. And there were some, sometimes this was done well. And the, the, um, the, the people actually got it and they, and they did worship God on that day, or at least they attempted to. Um, but sometimes it just turned into secretism, you know, where it became a blending of the two ideas of, of the pagan religion and Christianity in some way. And then that's where it became problematic. But a lot of times the people who object to celebrating Christmas on December 25th assume that every single time uh, the Roman Catholic Church went somewhere and tried to do this, they would, um, there was syncretism going on. And it wasn't always that. Sometimes the intentions by these missionaries were pretty good. And it was a, a, a sense to, to reclaim that day for the Lord uh, rather than having it something given over to the pagans. So kind of like in our lives when we're struggling with something, it's it's one thing to get something out of our lives, but we always teach like in, in discipleship, you teach it. It's one thing to say, I'm going to get rid of this. It's another thing to say, I'm not only going to get rid of this, I'm actually going to fill it with this. So kind of in the same way, getting uh, taking out the bad and replacing it with good, saying right. we're not going to worship that. Instead, we're going to worship God. It's almost it's almost like a, a form of discipleship type uh, remembering and, and, and training. Yeah. And and that was the intent a lot of times of those missionaries. Now there were a lot, there have been a lot of examples again where it went horribly wrong, and you get these syncretistic religions, and and that 
that clearly is not the right uh, approach. But let's go back to the original question about the, the, this Christ, Christ mass. mass. Well, yeah. the mass is you know the 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 Catholic service, the the what they call the sacrifice of the mass that Christ is being represented on their altars. He's being re-sacrificed every single time that the priest holds up the wafer and and somehow that wafer and the wine are turned into the body and blood of Christ. That's called transubstantiation, which is uh, the Roman Catholic view. Protestants, uh, Eric, you and I as Protestants, we would not agree with that position. Um, I, I, I think that the Bible is decidedly against that in many ways. The fact that Christ said it is finished when he was on the cross, I don't think he needs to continually be re-sacrificed in any way even if there's some mystical thing going on. I, I, I don't see a need for that. I had one guy one guy recently said, yeah, that, that whole idea is kind of based on, you know, well, not based on, it's, it's kind of, can, it's got uh, the inclinations of cannibalism as well. If you're eating the body of Christ, if it becomes the body, you're eating his Yeah, flesh. I think they would just point to John, what, John 6, where Jesus talks about that, unless this you eat my, my flesh and drink right. my blood. Yeah, well, not, not that part, not, no. not the Last Supper, but the part where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink yes. my blood. And then, then many other people went away from him. You know, that was a hard saying. Believe, and, yeah. But he but he tells them what that means later in that passage. And he talks about how the words there are spiritual. He's talking about those who are believing in him. Mm. So he gives an explanation of what that is. But um, let me, before we, just because it's called something, because it has the word mass in it, let's let's assume for the sake of argument that's, that's a wrong thing. And Eric, you and I would would not agree with the mass, but we might have some listeners who do. But for the sake of argument, let's let's assume that it is the wrong thing. Does that mean that the celebration of a holiday that has that in it is automatically wrong? No, because it's about what the holiday is about, mm. not you know what we're what we're celebrating. Um, if it's just about the word being used, well, then we've got some problems because in the Old Testament, Eric, did you know that it uses the names of other gods once in a while to refer to the true God? Hang on, in the old well, I I think I've talked to you a little bit about this in the past, and it's I want to learn more about this because it is very interesting. Yeah, now some of our listeners on the radio, hopefully, you didn't just crash your car. If you did, I I'm not going to apologize. No, I will <laughs> pull over when you're ready to hear the the, the title L or the name L E L is used frequently of God in the Old Testament. But you know who else that is? That is the chief Canaanite deity in uh, the Ugaritic people, uh, the, the place of Ugarit. Um, so El was the chief Canaanite deity. And sometimes the Bible uses that title for God himself. Uh, Baal is one that, or Baal is how we usually say it in English. Another pagan deity, the storm god of the Canaanites, right? Okay. Well, during the time of the judges and early kingdom years with Saul and David and Solomon, it was also a title for the true God. What? Hang on. Like what we would say, Baal or Baal? Yeah. Was a Gideon, term given to the one true God? Yeah, Gideon was, well, because it means like Lord. Oh. Or Master, something like that. So so Gideon was also known as Jerub, Jerub Baal or Baal. Let Baal contend or let the Lord contend. Um, David named one of his sons Be- Beliada. Baal, or is the the word there? So Bel, like in, like you have in Babylon, Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. Uh, Beliada is a mixed. Um, Bel knows, or the Lord knows. David, a man after God's own heart, names his son, one of his sons, with that title in his name. Wow. So it's just the way that languages work sometimes is that the words can change meaning. So the Canaanites may have had their deities there. 
and it just became part of the culture to use kind of like we do use the word God or, or Lord maybe is a good example. We use it just in a generic sense too. It doesn't have to be the one true God that we're referring to when we talk about a, a God or but when we say Lord, you know, even in like the days of the knights and kings and everything, you say, you know, lords and ladies, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, they're not talking about the one true God. It becomes a title for an important thing. And so Baal was the same way. And uh, El was, so if it's just about the name of something and not what is what it stands for and not what is in the heart and the mind of the speaker or the writer, and it's only about these names having magical properties or something, then we've got a problem in the Old Testament. So it's not about the words being used because the words change meaning over time and across culture. It's about the one who's being addressed by that word. So a lot of this comes from, uh, there's a book published back in, I think it was 1853, called The um, the Two Babylons by, um, and Eric, you probably have heard of this before, by Alexander Hislop. And, um, I, uh, tell me about it, because I'm, I'm the not ringing a bell. At least that, yeah, that the subtitle is called, the subtitle is Papal Worship Proved to Be the Worship of Nimrod and His Wife. And what this guy tried to do is connect all of the false religions around the globe and say they all go back to the Tower of Babel, to, to Babel, and the guy who was ruling that was Nimrod, and then his wife was Semiramis. I'm not sure where he gets that name from. And um, he he connects all of these different religions, and what he does is he tries to use different words from different languages that sound the same, or, they, or from different cultures that these words are kind of similar, therefore they mean the same thing. So you've got these pagan goddesses named Ishtar, while in another culture you've got Astarte, another one you've got Ashtoreth, and then... Somehow there's this Celtic goddess that we think might have been called Aostra because one guy, the Venerable Bede, in like the 7th century wrote about uh, a month called Aostra month. So that must have been a spring pagan goddess, even though we have no other record of, of her. And allegedly that's where we get the word Easter from. And all of So Easter, like Christmas, is pagan. Easter is Ishtar. Easter is Ashtoreth. Easter is Astarte. All these pagan goddesses. Th- that's silly. It's absolutely silly to, to argue that way because different cultures use similar sounding words to mean different things. So I don't and have to worry about Easter actually be worshiping. Maybe. No, because it actually comes from German, uh, Oster from the East, it, the sun rising. It has to do with rising in the East. It doesn't have to do, it, it, it isn't about a pagan goddess. It actually has to do with the sun rising in the East. And that's where we get our name for it. Uh, I I wrote a lot more about it in uh, my book um, in defense of Easter, um, answering critical challenges to the resurrection of Jesus. But um, back to the question about Christ, uh, Christmas or Christ Mass, if we want to use that, um, would the per- these same people would they be satisfied if we just changed it to the uh, Christ Birth? Uh, if, if, if based the on the arguments was, I've heard, no, they would still... No, they wouldn't. So this is just something that, that's peripheral. Uh, they're looking for another reason to try to object to it. Um, it like we said before, if you, if you don't want to celebrate it, don't. Okay, so I just got to back up here real quick. So a lot of these arguments are coming from this, night. excuse me, 18, you said 53 book? Yeah. So a lot of these arguments that are against Christmas, against Easter, things like that, really stem from that book in 1853. A lot of it does, yeah. That's interesting. This Alexander Hislop had, it's amazing how much influence he's had, especially since the internet got started. People started finding that book. It's public domain. You can find it. You can read it. Uh, You can find countless YouTube videos with people using him as an authority, saying that 
Alexander Hislop proved that all of these things, look, there might have been some things that he got right, but there are so many things that were wrong, and his methodology is just a terrible one. Well, uh, how to, to ironic, look at, something that we see as you know, the internet, we're always battling the same questions against Christianity and against the Bible because of the internet. It's like, guys, you don't know that this has been demolished, you know, Five decades ago, they found the answer to that, and 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 it's not even a good argument. And people still bring it up today because of that. So, yeah, similar thing. And what's here. what's really crazy on this one is a lot of times the people who are arguing against Christmas, the Christians who are arguing against it. You know who uses the exact same arguments a lot of times? The atheist. The atheist. Wow. Their closest ally in this in this argument, this battle, is are the atheists. That should make you think twice before you use some of these arguments. That's interesting. It doesn't mean that they're it doesn't mean they're automatically wrong. Look at each argument, you know, and look at its own at the merit of each one on its own. Um, yeah. By on its own, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I mean really though this this does clarify. I mean, again, Romans fourteen verse five makes it pretty clear. You know, have this settled in your own mind. Study this out, and and really know. You know, if you choose to celebrate it, great. If you don't condemn those who who choose not to, and vice versa, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's exactly what I would say on that issue. I think we've said that a few times, but how about December 25th itself as pagan? I mean, days aren't pagan. God made the days and he called them very good. And we can reclaim those things that have been used for bad. We can use them for the Lord. Um, we can choose to honor him every single day of the year. Again, if days were pagan, then Satan might as well just make every single day a pagan holiday somewhere. Then Christians could never celebrate God. I mean, maybe at 12 o'clock, like when it switched that one microsecond where it switches from 11, 59, 59 to midnight, maybe that's when we can worship God. But <laughs> I can, it, it, it's, no. that, it's just silly. And I, I know that, you know, maybe I, I'm coming across as mocking there, and I don't mean to be. It's just, it, it's so When you think of strange. it logically, when you go, okay, how, do, how is this really going to work out? Right. Well, here's what they don't understand, or maybe they do and they ignore it. Every single day of the week is named after a pagan god. That's interesting. We have Sunday, which is after the sun, Monday after the moon. And then you have the other days are named after Norse gods. And then um, Saturday is uh, named after the... Uh, the the Roman God, the Saturn. So you'd have to come up with an entirely like new calendar. And then you're the one who made it up. Well, yeah. Well, but then you have what, three months that are named after Roman. So um, days and Roman months. Emperors? Yeah. Months. What June and July and August, are they not all named after? Roman Caesars. Um, is June named after? Yeah. Roman emperors, Caesars who were viewed as gods. So apparently you can't have any holidays in those months. Um, it's just, again, if we're going to, follow this logic consistently and follow their arguments consistently, then then we can't ever celebrate God, even on the days that, you know, the Levitical feast days, because the pagans have made holidays on those days somewhere, I'm sure. All right, how about this one? Jeremiah 10 in the Old Testament, you're forbidden to actually use a Christmas tree. So why would you celebrate a holiday that actually uses a Christmas tree when it's forbidden in the Bible? It's very clear. That it talks about that. It's Jeremiah. Uh, where does it where does it forbid the use of a Christmas tree? Jeremiah chapter ten. Let me read it. Okay, you want to read it for our listeners so they can hear it. Well, I think you know what I'm talking about here. Jeremiah chapter ten, starting in verse number one. Hear the word of the Lord, which speaks to you, 
O house of Israel, thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest. There it is. The work of the hands of the workmen with the, with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. Sounds like a Christmas tree. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak just like a Christmas tree. They must be carried like a tree because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good inasmuch as there is none like you. O Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you, but they are altogether dull hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you read all the way through verse eight, because what did it say right there? That a wooden, that a idol, wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Because that's what this passage is about. It's about wooden idols, not about Christmas trees. It's about <laughs> a person chopping down a tree with an axe and then carving it. The, 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 the what is it called? The, the work of the hands yeah. of the workmen. They're carving it, shaping it to be a, an idol, whether it's an image of a person or an image of an animal or something like that. And then they stand it up and guess what? It doesn't talk. It doesn't speak. Um, God's saying these things are, are dumb. They're, they're worthless doctrines and you don't need to fear them. It comes right out and says, do not be afraid of them. And, but, but hang on, it does say they decorate it with silver and gold. It's and that's not what, referring to the tinsel that we put in the Christmas no, tree it's not today. It's not referring to the tinsel. It, uh, they did decorate their idols with silver and with gold. And they would actually put money, give money to them. They would, they would put coins before them. And it, yeah, it's, it's talking about idolatry. And there are other passages in the Old Testament that are similar to this where it's condemning idolatry. And that's what's going on here in Jeremiah chapter 10. Um, there, it, it, it's really bizarre that people will use this as a Christmas tree. And I've even heard people, in fact, somebody told me last month, I was having a conversation with them and they said, well, yeah, but you, know, you stand your tree up and when you go to put a present under the tree, you're bowing down to that idol. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, that's literally you, bowing down to the idol. Uh, the tree. Give me a break. I mean, you're, first of all, you don't have to bow down to it to do it. You can just set it on the floor and then kick it over if you want to. So, so no, as long as you throw it under the tree, right. it's no, okay. Let the FedEx guy deliver it there so he yeah. bows down to it. <laughs> Force him into to paganism. That's right. what you do. Yeah, there, I've actually got a um, blog post where I, uh, uh, we did a um, satirical article on that issue about the Christmas tree. And that was one of the points. Let, let the FedEx guy be the scapegoat. Um, let him put the, the tree under, or mount it sideways. Well, you know, for a lot mount of people... Side, yeah, just lay the tree down and you're right. good. As long as you don't stand it up and fasten it right. with nails, apparently. Or or get one of the talking ones, you know, they have to... Because this one says they can't speak, so I'll get a talking one. And then it's, <laughs> then it's not referring to it. I, I know we're being a little bit silly, but this argument That's facetious, I know, but yeah. It, it's This argument, even though people are pretty sincere, it's really silly. This is not what it was talking about. They were not decorating trees, at, you know, Christmas trees. That's not what was going on. They were carving wooden idols. 
And that's what's being forbidden here, just like in, in the giving the Ten Commandments, not to make any graven image and bow down and worship it. That's what this is talking about. They, they had violated that, and that's why they were going to be kicked out of their land for 70 years because of all of the idolatry. Well, the 70 years is for a different reason. Uh, but the right, reason so sp- um, Yeah, what was it for? Well, that was because they had violated the... the Every seventh year, they were supposed to let the land lie fallow. And so for 490 years, they hadn't done that. They owed God 70 years. And God said, you're going to get kicked out of the land for 70 years. And then I'll bring you back because that land's going to get its rest that I've told you to give it. Um, But this whole idea that it means, I mean, can we have um, artificial trees? They're not cut down out of the forest. I I didn't cut it down. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody did. Or artificial. Nobody cut it. Yeah. So these things are, it's really a silly argument. It's not about these external things. Um, You know, people will say that the same thing with the lights and that all pagans celebrated with candles. Well, Jesus said he's the light of the world. Can we not use light to remember that he's the light of the world? That's interesting. Okay, what about this? Modern America, our Christmas today in our culture with our uh, economics that go along with it. You've got, uh, you know, lots of uh, um, ornaments that are put on trees, holly, ivy, mistletoe. Uh, those things are, are, I know, referred to in, you know, more pagan type origins. Plus, we've got Santa and Rudolph and Frosty. Um, those have nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, wouldn't that kind of lead us to the conclusion that Christmas is actually more pagan than we'd like to admit to? Um, I think it might lead us to the conviction, the, the uh, conclusion that it is um, more commercialized, but not necessarily pagan. Uh, Santa, Rudolph, and Frosty aren't really pagan as much as they're just commercialized, and, and they can become distractions from what Christmas is really supposed to be about as, as a remembrance of God sending his son to the earth. And I think that they, they have become that for many people. Um, Again, if it's not one, if I'm not saying you can't ever watch Rudolph or Frosty or or tell your kids about Santa or anything, I, we we had never done that either. Um, you know, we never we never did the Santa thing with our kids. And I remember when my daughter was like three or four, we were um, they still had cell phones back then. They were kind of primitive, but we were picking up a cell phone, and the, it was right before Christmas. And the woman who was helping us said said the kid, our daughter, she was like three, I think at the time, maybe four. Hey, are you, what are you getting from Santa? She said, Santa's not real. Christmas is about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Three and four years old. I yeah. love it, man. Yeah. And, um, but I'm not saying that every parent has to do that if they want to use the, the Santa thing. As, look, as long as you're still telling them about who Jesus is and what he's done, then I've got no issue with that. But as far as holly and ivy and mistletoe, um, God made those things. Mm. He, he created those things and they were very good. Um, can people not use them to, to, celebrate what God has done. Some of them, uh, the use of evergreen at Christmas time can talk up, can be used as a, a memory to talk about eternal life that the God symbolism, gives. Yeah. yeah. The symbolism. Um, I'm not saying that's what everybody does. Sometimes people just use wreaths and other things just because that's what they do. Sometimes mistletoe is used. Well, Eric, you know what mistletoe is used for. I um, try to use that every <laughs> chance I get on my wife. Let me tell you. Yeah. And as long as that's with your wife, that's fine. <laughs> I do not want to be caught dead under one of those with you, that's for sure. <laughs> well, the good thing is I'm really tall, so I probably wouldn't fit underneath most of those. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't count. Right. You know, it's interesting. I did have, um, my wife was teaching a fifth grade girls Sunday school class, and she mentioned to the kids 
that Santa wasn't real. And I was kind of blown away. She got called in by the, the children's pastor uh -oh. and kind of reprimanded for that. And I'm going, are you kidding me? How in the world can you be reprimanding somebody for telling a fifth grade girl that Santa's not real? But sure enough, apparently their family teaches it as real. And actually it was later on, several years later, I was talking to the dad and the dad said, oh yeah, that's not my responsibility to tell them that Santa's not real. They'll find that out at some point on their own. Yeah, but usually by like, first grade. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, this fifth grader was still believing in it and uh. I just went... I just, to me, I don't, I don't know. We, we didn't do it either. And I know there's different, again, let everybody be convinced in their own heart. Yeah. We didn't teach our kids that Santa was real because I don't want him, uh, my, my son or my daughter's growing up thinking, well, I wonder what else my dad told me was real that actually isn't real. So that's just one of the many reasons we didn't. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess to be fair at my in-laws Christmas, when we celebrate it there, um, which unfortunately I got to go to Minnesota once a year into the, that godforsaken land uh, no, i'm just kidding if you're from minnesota that's, i went to college and my wife's from there she she got saved and moved out of there um <laughs> i got a lot of great friends in minnesota um but um so it's fun to tease them but my in-laws live there and when we go there for for christmas they do have a little santa thing that they do and um so the kids have seen it they, they know that it's a, a fake thing it's just one of the other kids who's dressing up that way that's uh every year um but you know what? We we make too much of these things sometimes. Uh, that we to to try to peg everything as pagan when there are things that God has made many times and called very good. Um, I think we we need to be careful that what careful about that. And, and most importantly, what, what is in the heart of the person who's doing it? That's ultimately what it comes down to. It's between them and the Lord and how they're doing it. Now, I guess the one thing we would need to talk about here is make sure that we're not caught becoming a stumbling block to fellow brothers and sisters, those who have a weaker conscience on, on these matters. Um, but that would probably take another episode just to flesh that yeah. out, but we, yeah, we can at least add that in there. Yeah. This one went pretty long, but Hey, it's Christmas, <laughs> Merry Christmas. You get to listen to us for a, a lot longer. That was yeah. your, that was our gift to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you took that as a gift. That's uh, that would be a gift to us if you really take that as a gift. Yeah. Oh man. So, well, fun. Yeah. All right, we got a whole other episode next week that I'm excited about. Going to continue talking about some of the misconceptions out there and some of the things that, were, you know, people have misconceptions about Jesus and at that time and what really happened. So, are we going to talk about you know what was a manger and all that good stuff? Yeah, we'll get into those issues. We're not we're not going to dwell on well, can you celebrate Christmas or not. Some of the skeptic. Uh, arguments against the biblical narratives in Matthew and Luke and then some of the misunderstandings that Christians have about that first Christmas. So we're going to dig into the Bible a little bit more on these uh, rather than just dealing with some of the arguments claiming that Christmas is a, a pagan holiday. So looking forward to that one too. Thanks for joining us so far on the first of our two episodes about Christmas. Awesome. Hey, thanks Tim. Appreciate your insight in all this. I love it. Yep. Appreciate having you on and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Bible Q&A podcast. If you have a question you would like Tim and Eric to address on the program, please send an email to bqa at creationtoday.org. The views expressed on the Bible Q&A podcast do not necessarily represent those of other ministries with which Tim and Eric are affiliated. Thank you for listening.